Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I want to thank my sponsors, Topps, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's uh, an episode for your listening enjoyment. It's really taken another leap now. Now that Fanatics is coming into the space, they're going to have a platform to stream on. They have a lot of power behind them. Even DraftKings is coming out with a platform now for breaking. So live content is here to stay. Clearly, these breaking platforms or these distribution platforms would love to have you streaming through them. We've actually streamed all the platforms, whether it's Twitch or Breakers TV or Loop or whatnot, because we were ahead of the curve. They really didn't work for us because there's a limited number of product that you can get. We break on YouTube and Instagram. If you can sell 100% of your product through those two channels, and then you go to these other channels, try to expand your base, but the other channels, maybe one is an auction format or you're going to lose money. So we didn't see an increase in customers from these other platforms, although we gave them three months each to try. But YouTube and Instagram were our meat and potatoes. So we're going to just stick with what we have now. Fanatics Live will probably break on there. I know they're putting a lot of effort behind it. So I think it'll be a good platform. Yeah. And I think to my point earlier is we skewed towards a more traditional collector. So I think why those other platforms didn't work is those platforms are a lot more younger, maybe more high risk, high reward type breaks where we are the traditional breaks. So I think that also played a factor. I think fanatics ought to like that and want to promote that because as soon as we get to the point where only the best cards have a home, every card (laughs) needs to have a home. If the breakers are saying these aren't even worth sorting or shipping, that's not a good statement. A few of them are going to do that, but I, I encourage you to stay that course. And I would hope fanatics would be promote your approach. Because they like to have other people provide services and products for them. So yeah. you guys would be in their bullseye, I would think. Yeah, none of the platforms are exclusive. So you can break Fanatics. Uh, we might stream Fanatics YouTube simultaneously. It'll stream on both platforms. What I like about Fanatics is that you have such a reach worldwide. And our breaking community is worldwide. They just have a lot of resources behind them. And they're really going for that live content element. And whether it's going to be 24-7, I'm not sure. But they're going to be selective on who they have breaking also. And they've showed us some sneak peeks of the Fanatics Live app coming up. And it seems pretty customizable towards the breakers. So if you do these kind of breaks, you can do that. If you do these kind of breaks. So they're not really saying, hey, you have to do this and this, which we appreciate too. When you get word of mouth referrals for Jaspies, what are they saying? Why is somebody, Nick, telling their friend, you need to try these guys? What are they saying? Because it's a jungle out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing is just our reputation in the hobby, obviously, with my grandfather and my dad. There's been articles written about it. So I think that's a big plus versus a lot of these other breakers maybe just started breaking in the pandemic and they haven't really seen a downturn cycle in the industry. 
And another big plus I would say is our shipping sorting team. All the cards ship in our breaks and we take great care of it. No jiffy bubble mailers. We ship in only boxes, which people love to. And we hardly have any sorting mistakes, wrong cards for the wrong team. So I think a combination of our sorting shipping system, our breaking and yeah, like honest integrity, fair pricing. Are you doing a lot of tops breaks? Yeah, we do a decent amount of top series two breaks, top series one update. Yeah. Are the tops flagships one of your primary bread and butter break things? I wouldn't say bread and butter, but I would say a lot of other breakers don't offer those products. They just don't even bother putting them up. So I think, yeah, it's a good amount. And on personal breaks too, that's a good thing about personals. One person is getting all the cards in the box, so no sorting. So our shipping team likes that. And they love that just because they'd rather have y'all's personalities doing that and having an audiovisual record of it. Yeah, that and maybe they don't live near a local hobby shop that they can't go to. Or maybe it's 11 p.m. and their hobby shop isn't open, but Jaspies is on and one of our breakers can break and all the big rookies get sleeved and top loaded right away and all the hits. Yeah, that was a funny thing. We didn't offer personal breaks for a while. We were always like, why would someone want someone else to open the cards for them? Now that the hobby's kind of changed, it definitely offers some pluses. Got you started in collecting. My dad had cards. Okay. What I realized now that my dad has passed is that when I got my dad's cards, they were probably my uncle's cards mixed in. Now, he's also not around anymore, but my cousins are still. (laughs) uh, My grandmother gave them to me, not finders keepers. They were given to me, and they were worth a lot back in 1959. But uh, So that really helped me to be a collector. Mike, I think there's not only a collector gene, there's a, a, a transference. If your dad collected something, especially if they collected cards, you're more likely to be a sports kind of collector or card collector. And my dad collected not on a national basis, just locally. He had gowdies and play balls. When I was collecting as a kid, it, it just made sense. But I knew there were older cards. Then all of a sudden there were shows and it was, became less of a solitary or neighborhood hobby and more of a regional and national hobby. You had the blessing of your dad taking you to some different events. My dad never took me to a card show, but there weren't card shows when I was that age. When you talked about interviewing, what other kind of things did you look for in potential employees that you were looking to hire? Mike was a one of one. Okay. I think we did some of the football drafts. You just want to get the best athlete available. Rich Klein, another notable hire who checks a lot of boxes, but he doesn't check every box. He's an individual and he isn't typical. And so I think if I look back and think of some of the success our company had is we didn't have a cookie cutter mold. We were trying to get a certain one type of person. We were trying to assemble a really good team. And then we figure out the positions to put them in after we got them there. And that seemed to work, Nick, I think. Uh, And like I said, your dad was an excellent example of that because we didn't really have a job title or a job situation when he walked in. But after he was there, he was the kind of guy that could demonstrate his worth. And Rich, Mm -hmm. same thing. Everybody else we hired. We probably did make a couple of mistakes and Mike probably knows who I would be talking about, but (laughs) because nobody's perfect, but we had a great team. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was an excellent team there. In fact, you should be proud. A large portion of that team, they're designing cards, producing cards, pricing cards still. A lot of them are within the card business still, especially with the manufacturing and production. Nick, they weren't looking for a job when they knocked on our door. They really wanted to work 
in this industry and they had a passion for the industry, there was some encouragement with having a team where everybody else has that same passion. And so that's what they want. And the guys that have gone to these other companies, it's because they want to maintain that. There's a much more relational element to the hobby than there was 50 years ago. We created a team and some of them have gone and done other things, but they took their passion with them and they took some expertise and brought other guys along with them in some cases. Are you still collecting autograph cards? Some of the ones on the wall are autographed. I think I was ahead of the game for autograph rookie cards, but it's catching up. The players have figured it out. <laughs> that <they laughs> charge more to get their rookie card autograph. But I did some through the mail stuff long, long time ago and bought some collections. But for protection, I slab them now with BGS. And yeah. of course, you've got to get Beckett authentication because they won't slab it if it's not authentic, hard and an authentic autograph. But people, when they come over, they don't necessarily at first glance see that it's autographed. They say, oh, that's a nice old card. And then they look a little closer and, oh, wait, that's autographed. I think that's cool. Still really appreciate him. And the value's gone up on some of them. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought the value would decrease, but now I'm seeing that some of these Mantle cards and Clemente cards that were autographed are actually selling for more than the actual card unautographed, which I find a little surprising. It's just some perception of rarity. If it's in a four or five condition, that's not rare. And those are the kind of cards that guys back in the day got autographed. Not the nines and the tens, such that there were nines and tens. I don't think there were nines and tens <laughs> years ago, yeah. but there were nice cards. I got my duplicates autographed. My better cards were in my set. Right. And then the secondary ones, and then getting them signed, that was great. It's an, another personal touch. It'll probably always be a niche. But within this hobby, it seems like a niche sometimes turns into something more because it can catch on let's jump on this there's scarcity on some of these autograph cards i mean when i see them i used to pick them up now i'm more of a seller than a buyer or i'm a maintainer i'm really not trying to sell i'm selling one percent a month guys not my best one percent my worst one percent <laughs> 99 months it might get painful but right now i'm selling stuff that i don't want the problem is other people don't want it either always <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of the breaks. Is it? There's some cards in there people don't want, but they have the chance. Is it maybe even if they know the team, they don't know what hits they're going to get within that team, and they have mm-hmm. that chance. People don't really collect sets anymore. There's a few products, heritage, and things that they'll still build a set, but there are team collectors and player collectors now. And if you're a Dodgers fan, a Dodgers collector, the cheapest way to go is to buy into a break by the Dodgers. You might open a box and get five Dodgers, or here you have a whole case. You might get 50 Dodgers for cheaper than what the box costs. That's why the mainstream is starting to pick up on this more, and people are investing more time and money and energy in it, because it is a very affordable way to collect. People say gambling risk. You open a pack of 65 tops, and I wanted Mickey Mantle. I didn't know he wasn't in first series. I kept buying. It's just more efficient. The percentage of people in this industry, hobbyists, that don't want to sell anything. And so if they're in a random break, even if they get some good cards, they don't like selling things. They don't want to sell things. So if you provide a a pick your team break, then they're in heaven because they don't have to sell because that's the team they want. But if they got the other team, they would just give it away maybe. More than sell it. People don't like the friction of selling sometimes. 
And yeah. so I didn't really like to sell either. I like to buy. But at some point, got too much stuff. How about y'all's personal collection? Things y'all are holding back or putting on the shelf or anything can go. Go ahead, Nick. I'm like my dad where I'll have something and I'll really cherish it for a few years. And then I'll be like, okay, it's time to move on from this card. Right. So I'm that way in the same way as him. But I definitely have some Philadelphia Eagles. That's my main team that I would never sell. And I was lucky enough to get some Shohei Otani cards during his dip. So maybe I'll sell those at some point. But yeah, definitely Eagles and some Mike Trout mixed in. Good taste. I don't really collect cards anymore. Years ago, I just couldn't justify paying the price of cards because I had pretty much all the sets at one point in time. And I got them relatively cheap. When you buy in the 60s and 70s, you can get cards cheap. And once the 80s and 90s rolled around, I stopped collecting cards. But I still have a lot of things, advertising and promotional items, stuff like that, autographs that I probably would never sell. The one that my kids, Alex and Nick, both want. My dad wrote to Ty Cobb once for an autograph 8x10 photo. And Ty Cobb wrote him back saying he was tired of you kids. My father's a grown man. He's tired of you kids. I'm running out of photos. And it's a great letter. The content is amazing. And it's titled Dear Jasperson. That's something that I would never sell. Leaning towards Nick, because Nick is the collector, where my older son doesn't really collect, never did collect. So who do I give the letter to? Anybody that's more than one kid understands you. <laughs> and my daughter. Thanks for giving us a little peek into the world of Jaspies and the Jaspersons. 